Well, brother, it's always uh, good to hear your voice, uh, the, the, the voice of calm and reason. <laughs> and uh, as Brother Francis would say, oh, men, all things that men do, they do because they believe they are doing good. <laughs> you should be pursuing good. I mean, the, you and I get, and you might even get it more than me. You might even hear it more than I do. You and I get the, the, the cynicism. I get it. I understand it. Yeah, it, it stinks. The big guys are in control. Your vote doesn't matter, all that stuff. That doesn't mean that you airmail it in, preach doom and gloom, and stop trying, does it? No. No. Okay. And, and it also doesn't mean that you're 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 uh, down in the dumps all the time and cranky. <laughs> That's right. We all know too many down in the dump crankies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was listening to the your, the Grinch song that you were playing, and yeah, that that's <laughs> that, that describes a certain kind of sourpuss traditionalist. I'm afraid. Okay, uh, brother, is it true that tonight is the four hundredth episode of Reconquest? Yes, Reconquest turns four hundred tonight. That yes. is absolutely incredible. Now. I offer you one of two prizes. In my left hand, I have congratulations. In my right hand, I have condolences. Which would you like? Oh, <laughs> this seems to be a trope with you lately. The the uh, the con I heard you say that to Rick Barrett on the air the other day. Um, but by by and by the way, I'm I'm thrilled that he's back. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll take a little from column A and a little from column B. Is it like a cafeteria? Can I do that? Yep, yep, yep. Your your plate is divided into three square into three triangles. Though, remember when we were when we were in school. <laughs> You had the three. You had the the big portion for the meat, the smaller for the uh, for the starch, and the even smaller one for the uh, vegetable. Yes, you can pick and choose from the menu. Um, episode number four hundred. Well, you're going to tell us what it's all about later on in the program. Um, let's talk about uh, Saint Nicholas. Of, now, you say at Catholicism.org, the slaves in your mac and a heart say Saint Nicholas of Bari. Correct. Yeah, so there's a reason. Why. So in the East they call him Saint Nicholas of Myra, which is proper because he was the he was the Bishop of Myra. Uh, Westerners know him as uh, Saint Nicholas of Bari, or if you're an Italian, San Nicola di Bari, okay. because uh, the Crusaders, who were very good at smuggling the bodies of saints back from the East during the Crusades, especially the, the Venetians. Um, they they somehow got their mitts on Saint Nicholas and brought him back to the uh, to the east uh, to the west or brought, not brought him back brought him to the west. He's an Eastern saint. He was an Eastern bishop. He was the bishop of Myra, um, which is in um, Asia Minor. You know today Turkey. Okay. Um, and and the the, the, the his his there's a, there are ruins of his shrine. Uh, still today, uh, the, where where one can find the tomb of Saint Nicholas in Myra, at at his uh, ruined shrine, and the name of the town is Demre, I think it's in it's in Lycia in uh, what was known anciently as Lycia, but it's in it's in Demre, Turkey. Most people think of, t of Turkey today, and they they, they get kind of confused. Uh, where where is this place called Turkey? Well, it's, it's a very very large country. Yeah, well, and keep in mind when you talk about ancient, you know, like Ephesus is ancient Turkey. You know, mm -hmm. the, the the places where all of the early ecumenical councils were: Nicaea, Constantinople. Yeah, Nicaea, Constantinople, Ephesus, Chalcedon. They're all in Turkey today. That doesn't mean that the people who, who lived there were Turks. The Turks took over. The Turks are, are a, a Turkic people, believe it or not, from I believe the, the, essentially the steps, steps of Central Asia, and they took over that whole section. They took over Anatolia. Uh, uh, and that was really the beginning of the end for the Eastern Empire. The Battle of uh, the Battle of Manzikert, at uh, when the when the Turks uh, got Anatolia from the Greeks in uh, 1071. 1066 is a big year for us in the West, you know, especially us Anglophones, because that's the Norman Conquest. But um, and you know when when Old English evolves into Middle English after a few years. Okay. But uh, but the Battle of Manzikert. Kurt is kind of written written as a, as a as a sad elegy on the heart of every Greek. 
every and every Christian Easterner, because and and really, as um, as Christians, right? We should have the, we Westerners should also have the same attitude about the the, the great tragedy of the Battle of Manzikert. I had, I had a friend, Rob, Robert Hickson, God God rest his soul. He had a, an old friend who was Greek. And the guy was extremely articulate and very history-minded, kind of like Robert. He was he was sort of one of Robert's peers. And Robert saw his friend, and he didn't. He looked down in the dumps, and he said, "Are you okay? You you don't look like you're doing well." And he says, "I haven't been doing well since the Battle of Manzikert." <laughs> and and it, 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 it just kind of shows you how much that's written into the Greek consciousness. But yeah, so so the the uh, the Turks just took over that whole part of the world. Do you know what my answer to that when someone says you don't look like you're doing so well? You know what my my version of that is. Well, dude, all was lost at Appomattox. I mean, <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's it's exactly the same kind of thing. And people who have that, people who have that historical consciousness, whether whether you're a Southerner, um, and and of course, right away, I know Appomattox, right? I know that's that's uh, when when the when the South signed off on its own fate yeah. after the after the War of Northern Aggression. Um, we have that consciousness ingrained in us if we're historic minded right so too with the Greeks their, their consciousness goes back you know another another millennium but it's the same kind of thing it's uh, now you mentioned 1066 and uh, I'd like to give the audience another year because somebody don't make up some may go on like come on trickery you're not gonna let that one go by are you 1061 is the year in which uh, Our Lady appeared to the Englishwoman Richelle de Faverche in the little village in England called Walsingham and after a series of apparitions, uh, she agreed to build a replica of the, you know, I know this because a woman named Eleanor Villarubi wrote a wonderful essay about this at Catholicism.org. Uh, mm -hmm. She's a librarian, that lady. She knows some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Or as she always told me growing up, uh, I'm, librarians might not know everything, but we know where to look it you up. You know where to look it up. <laughs> so uh, uh, Brother Andre's mom uh, wrote a wonderful uh, piece about Our Lady of Walsingham. And on the third apparition, uh, Our Lady told uh, Richelieu de Faverge in 1061, I want you to build me a replica of the Holy House. And of course, Richelieu being an inquiring lass, went, well, how will I know? And she goes, well, I'll take you there. And so she took her there. And then she goes, here, write this down. And she gave her the exact dimensions down to the inch. So 1061, another great year in, uh, or another year to remember in the 11th century in history. Uh, but back to St. Nicholas of Bari. Um, some of the legends surrounding uh, him, there are uh, some historians argue that we don't really know anything about him. Some say, no, we do. There is, uh, there, there are records. Um, I know that I, wrote, I read uh, Taylor Marshall's book uh, several years ago, maybe a decade ago. I think I interviewed Taylor in 2013 on Sirius XM Patriot Channel about is December the 25th really the date of Christmas. And he had a chapter in that book about St. Nicholas of, uh, of Bari, where he he goes like, well, the legends are true. You know, they're passed down uh, to us, and we know that there were uh, young lasses that were that did not have proper dowries and wanted to be married. And uh, the, the the bishop knew of this, and um, I can't remember what he did to, to raise the funds, but he kind of took the gold pieces and put them into their stockings, if you will. They were hung by the chimney with care, and, and the young ladies uh, were, were, were wed. So there is something to, there is a, what, what brother uh, we call legend, which is not a bad word, and what we call, you know, a, 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 the oral tradition uh, that passed down to us through the ages of St. Nicholas of Bari. So uh, I don't know how, how detailed you, you are on, on St. Nicholas of Bari, um, and of those those things, but we could talk a little bit about that, brother. Well, there's not a whole lot that we do know about Saint Nicholas. What we know, I mean, is is mostly in um, the, the Matins uh, um, reading for him, and you know, he was the bishop of Myra in. Um, Again, Turkey. Asia Minor, right. what's now what's now Turkey? What's now Turkey? Uh, before the Turks were there, um, you know, they, they, they we could make a saw, song called "It's uh, It's Demre, not Myra," but it wouldn't be as catchy as "It's Istanbul, not Constantinople." But that's where he was. He was he was uh, he was in Myra, uh, a Greek city. Now it's Demre, and. Um, 
the uh, he was the bishop and he and he and he died a martyr so no he was uh, no, actually no he did die a martyr i'm sorry he was he was a bishop and he was one of the participants at the council of nicaea he was one of the fathers one of the 318 fathers of the council of nicaea and that's a, that's the the big deal of that time right that overshadowed the 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 entire history of that era but the the i guess the two sort of virtually back-to-back -back things of the the end of the period of persecution right thanks to constantine in 313 and then that first ecumenical council that was made possible by that same emperor constantine with uh with the council of nicaea where the divinity of our lord was defended there is this probably completely mythical story of him literally slapping or punching Arius in the face. Uh, we can hope that it's true, though, can't we? <laughs> okay, so the first account of it apparently was something like a thousand years after the death of St. Nicholas. So okay. uh, that's, however, it, it is kind of cool to see uh, Russian and, and Greek icons of St. Nicholas slapping the heretic. Um, <laughs> you know, you, usually that kind of thing is not found in iconography. Um, I, guess, I guess it is more in the Slavic world and those are not the kind of icons they're normally going to display nowadays. But yeah, so I, I do. I, I'm inclined to think that that was uh, um, truly uh, mythical. Um, but uh, although it's a nice story, you know, they want to make him the patron saint of pugilists because of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which okay, go ahead. But he has other patronages. He's the patron saint of Russia. So what we're not cognizant of, and I have a gorgeous Russian icon of Saint Nicholas. Uh, on my Russian icon wall that's in my office. And um, I, I consciously put him there because uh, I know what a big deal he is in Russia. I have, I kind of have a, I don't want to say I have a devotion to Russia, but I, 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 I'm part Russophobe, uh, Russophile. Pardon me, I'm part Russophile because, um, because I, because of Our Lady Fatima, really, and because I, I do believe that they'll convert. But they have a devotion in the Orthodox churches uh, of, uh, of, in the Orthodox Church of Russia. They have a massive devotion. And don't forget, Tsar Nicholas II, right? I mean, it was a name among the Tsars, uh, Nicholas. Of course, he becomes Santa Claus in the West, and that's principally through the Dutch, because um, that's right. uh, because Nicholas becomes Niklaus, it becomes, it becomes shortened to Klaus, uh, and the, the Saint part, Santa, huh? so Saint Nicholas becomes Santa Claus to the Dutch, and the version of Santa Claus that we have uh, in, in America, in the United States, is really a product of the Coca-Cola company. That's right. L literally, not a joke. It's a product of the Coca-Cola company. But they kind of only put on the finishing touches because what they did was they took the Dutch Santa Claus that was popular in New York among the, among the Dutch of New York, and they uh, put their own little bells and whistles on them and uh, made them Santa Claus. Um, so yeah, that, that's uh, that's what we've got by way of Santa Claus. But um, he, and he's not to be confused with Father Christmas, uh, because I think some people think that Saint Nicholas and Father Christmas are the same person, uh, and they're not. And uh, if you want to know a little bit about that, go to Charles Colomb's uh, current article uh, on... I just realized I'm not in the chat room. Uh, go to Charles Colomb's article on uh, Catholicism.org. Maggie's, Maggie's ahead of you. She already put it in there. Okay. Oh, the good politics of Christmas. The politics of Christmas. And he goes into the Christmas wars, and it's rather fascinating uh, that during... During the uh, so-called Wars of the Three Kingdoms in, in England, when the Catholics and the High Church Anglicans, were, uh, known as the Cavaliers, were fighting against the, the, uh, the, those evil English Puritans who were such sourpusses and gave us our pu wonderful Puritan forefathers here in New England, um, when they were f fighting against them, they had a valuable political ally in the person of Father. Christmas, who really was a personification of Christmas. Keep in mind the Puritans who um, 
you know, the, the, the joke is that they stay awake at night and fear that somebody someplace is having fun. Yep. Uh, and their their idea of uh, religion is very much religion with a, with a sourpuss, which I I mean, if honestly, if I were a Calvinist, I think I would too uh, have that sourpuss all the time. But that was their idea of, 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 of religion, was stamping out every kind of celebration. Uh, so they weren't much into music, they weren't much into uh, saints' feasts and things like that. The, I don't know why the Dutch Calvinists are so radically different, because the Dutch Calvinists actually have what, what used to be, what, what it still is, and used to be their cathedral in New York, uh, the oldest, I think it's the oldest cathedral in Anglo-America. It, 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 it's, it dates back to the 17th century, and it's called St. Nicholas. So they actually had a Calvinist cathedral in New York dedicated to St. Nicholas. So the Dutch are kind of, they're very different from their spiritual cousins, the New England uh, Puritans, the Dutch Calvinists specifically. But anyway, um, the, the uh, Father Christmas was a v- valuable ally in, in the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. And what spun off from this was what called, what's called the Christmas Wars, because the Puritans were against Christmas. Keep in mind, in this country, it was illegal to have Christmas in many places for for a chunk of our colonial history. It was completely outlawed. And if you tell your average Protestant that today and tell them why, they're going, that's not true. That's not true. Yes, it is. Oh, no, they admit it. And, and, and the, the, I mean, the, and I'm not contradicting you. I'm saying the people, the, the say the Calvinists and so forth, who are cognizant of their history, they know this stuff. It's, it's uh, you know, they'd be, they'd be lying through their teeth if they, if they tried to deny it. It's, it's, it's part of the colonial history of the New World. But the, the, uh, the, the, the Christmas wars were the wars, essentially, of, you know, should we celebrate Christmas or not? Or is it some sort of popish slash pagan uh, thing? And keep in mind, the, the, um, the, the, the part of the Calvinist Protestant re- rejection of Christmas and all that was, oh, well, it was really a pagan thing. You know, they took these ancient pagan cults yes, of the, around the winter solstice. All that stuff's been debunked. Yes. Just brother. like, just like you know, the the idea that uh, Jesus was really Horus, you know, and the stories, you know, virgin virgin birth and all this stuff, all that all that nonsense is debunked because in the nineteenth century there were these popular theories of these these sociologists and stuff, modernists, who were basically um, trying to, to to accuse Christians of just reviving all these pagan myths. Every single one of them has been debunked. I, I was just going to add in quickly for some context and some detail here, uh, uh, back to. The, what you mentioned earlier, the, the Church of St. Nicholas in Manhattan, you know where uh, uh, it was destroyed on September the 11th, 2001. Okay, that that I I I don't I just know that it once was there. Oh yeah, so well, yeah I, there's pictures of it. It was below the South Tower, the World Trade Center Tower. The South Tower collapsed and and took that church out with it. There's pictures of it. Ooh. Yes. Wow. Yes. So uh, just a little wow. historical footnote there uh, uh, for uh, for you. Um, yeah, most people would not know about uh, Christmas being illegal and not being allowed to celebrate. Also, if you're into further reading on this, G.K. Chesterton has a poem called Father Christmas. Um, and I know because I read it for you in 2016, and we should still have the recording, and we play it every Christmas or Advent season. So uh, there we go. Brother Andre Marie is the host of Reconquest Radio. Episode number 400 debuts today, and our regular guest here with us on Wisdom Wednesday. We are discussing today, December the 6th, 2023, and the annual feast of St. Nicholas of Bari, or St. Nicholas, uh, as you know him, as Santa Claus, or as he has kind of morphed and developed as this, this this character here. You know, it's interesting. Do you know where the artist got the idea for Coca-Cola, uh, or where the Dutch kind of, uh, where all this stuff kind of comes together? Is it Herbert Clement Moore's The Night Before Christmas? Because he paints, if you read the poem, he gives you a very accurate description of who we call Santa Claus today. Hmm. Yeah, and of course the 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 red the red uh, the red ermine or whatever it is white ermine and the red whatever whatever is made of ermine. I think the ermine is the white part. It's the white part. That uh, the, that that's papal that's papal winter wear. 
that was sort of tricked out onto Santa Claus there. Remember, remember how Saint people were making fun of Pope Benedict the the sixteenth for not only wearing the red shoes, but also the the ermine cap that he had that was red and white, and the little cape that went with it. That looked very Santa Clausy. Well, that's I mean, if you look at old images of popes going way back, paintings when they're wearing their winter wear because it's cold, that was it. Well, I'll give you one of the most famous ones that uh, most of many of you have seen. The uh, There's a painting of St. Pope Pius V, and it looks like Santa Claus. Th- that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pope, Pope, the painting of Pope Pius, St. Pope Pius V, he looks very Santa Claus E. <laughs> yeah, and, and he did have a beard, so that's uh, that, that helps. Okay, so uh, we are uh, talking about the uh, the legend of Santa Claus and then discussing this article that you can find in the chat room at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat called The Politics of Christmas by Sir Charles Coulon, who, by the way, is repatriated back to the United States. So maybe if I call him up now, he'll answer his phone. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, yes, Michael. What day would you like me to have you? You know, there's an inn over there that has cocktails. You, you know, Cesare just passed right by it. Colonial. We're gonna stop there. You know how many Colonial inns we passed by on the way to the St. Benedict Center? <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Well, I I know what it's like to pick Charles up. Uh, yeah. He does add a lot of joy to all our lives, does he not? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, now, you said something that I that I had not heard before, um, so and I, 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 I've taken to, to writing notes as Brother Talks on Wisdom Wednesday, so I don't have to go uh, and try to remember what I was going to say. So I wrote it down. The Cavalier, so the University of Virginia— and Virginia was high Anglican, uh, Episcopalian, if you will, uh, here in the United States. Their mascot is the Cavalier. And, uh, I mean, everyone in Virginia knows the Cavs, the Cavaliers. You mentioned Cavaliers in that number of Puritans, high Anglicans, and Cavaliers, or or were the, the Cavaliers high- with, were on the other side? Okay, so they were they were they were Calvinists. No, no, okay. no. So. So, um, the Cavaliers were the Royalists. The Royalists, they, okay. They were defending the king against the, the, the Puritans who were, you know, these were the, I'm sorry, I almost called them scumbags. I shouldn't say that. These were the lowlives that had the, that were really, they were the oligarchs who were controlling the throne, right? The throne. The, the king was a puppet. I mean, the, 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 at, the, at this point, they, they, they didn't. They didn't want a real monarchy. And in fact, at this time, they had done away with the monarchy, right? So this is the, uh, the, 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 I don't know if they called it democracy, but they were really oligarchs. And for a long time, the kings weren't really ruling. I mean, go back to uh, the time of um, Cromwell, right? They, they were not, the, they, the king was a puppet. Cecil. Whoever was ruling was a puppet. Yeah. Cecil. Cecil, all Cecil. those guys. They were, they were, they were uh, I wasn't correcting in pronunciation. I just know it as Cecil. Okay. You're probably right. It probably was Cecil. These guys were, uh, uh, they were, they were uh, Puritan, Protestant oligarchs that were the power behind the throne when there was a throne. Then when they could get rid of it, they got rid of it. But the Catholics in the 17th century were fighting alongside the high church Anglicans uh, who were actually, that's actually, uh, I'm sorry, that's an anachronism. They were fighting alongside many of the Anglicans. Okay. Who were uh, uh, pro? They were they were loyalists. They were monarchists, and they were fighting against the Roundheads. Right? They were fighting against the Puritans. So it was it was the Cavaliers versus the Roundheads, and the and 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 who were the Cavaliers? Well, they were the uh, they were the Anglicans, and they were the Catholics, and it, it was a more class act. You know, the Roundheads. I think it was literally based upon their goofy haircuts. Uh, I think that that name, but um, th- th- so that's th- that. Those are the historical labels, and the the um, Anglicans that were in Virginia would have considered it kind of a badge of honor historically that they were the Cavaliers because that th- their whole image of themselves was kind of knightly, right? As opposed to the to the very um, almost iconoclastic. 
Puritans, huh? Who hated who hated that. That this is why later on, when you get this revival again, I said Father Christmas was an ally, a political ally in in their struggle. Later on, when you get the the revival uh, of all things medieval, and Charles makes this point under Sir Walter Scott and these guys, when uh, Scott wasn't a Catholic, but when when by rehabilitating all things medieval, as Charles says, he kind of paved the way for rehabilit for a Catholic restoration. Now that full restoration, of course, never happened in England, but it was there were various times at which there was optimism that it would happen. And there were, of course, certain victories that did happen and, and, and conversions happened and so forth. And you had the Oxford movement and you had the, um, which sort of spun off from the high church Anglican movement. And by the way, I said that the the 17th century, calling them high church Anglicans would be anachronistic because high church Anglicanism didn't exist until the 19th century. These guys were fooling themselves into thinking that, oh, our authentic Anglican traditions really are Catholic. But the but uh, Newman, among others, uh, Realize that now we're fooling ourselves. Uh, the, the 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 Anglicans threw out the Catholic stuff too. The Puritans threw out more of it, but uh, but the, the idea that the, the that the Anglicans were just Catholic minus the Pope uh, was 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 not true. Yes, and uh, and 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 High Church Anglicanism, like many similar movements, was sort of anachron had an anachronistic outlook on its own history. But um, but many guys did come into the church, not Pusey, but certainly Newman and some others. It's interesting to, to note that the Virginia Cavaliers are kind of the logo of the University of Virginia. The Cavaliers are crossed cutlasses. Mm-hmm. The pair of cutlasses that are crossed. Yeah, I said their image of themselves was kind of classy, knightly. You yeah, know, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, oh, it that, is. That image, rather than, you know, the sort of lowbrow, iconoclastic idea of the Puritans. The Puritans are iconoclastic. And destroying feast days, saying Christmas is outlawed, well, that's just a sort of a, that's a, an iconoclasm taken to the Christian calendar. Well, you know, the, uh, I did a lot of work on uh, Virginia and U.S. history, as you, uh, as you well know. And I can tell you, because I read books that were published at the end of the 18th century, uh, one by the daughter of George Mason, another by the friend of John Adams, uh, Marziotis Warren. Um, and I can tell you that they, that kind of the ter- some of the terminology that they used was uh, almost trying to keep the, uh, the, the, the spirit of the knightly orders, or at least the, the knightly days in order. They, they used terms like gentry. They called themselves the Virginia gentry. You know what the most famous uh, a name that would, 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 would distinguish you from someone else as a term of honor is that you would be called colonel. You, know, you start reading letters that are written to, to, to Patrick Henry, and, you, and they're calling him Colonel. And I go like, well, it, he, <laughs> he wasn't a militia, but he wasn't a colonel. So it was kind of a term of endearment, if, if you will. So interesting thing, that era uh, of, of, of history there in Virginia, that you know James Madison and Thomas Jefferson would rail, rail against the tithe system. The state of Virginia basically required tithing, if you will, a tax, and it basically went to the English or the Angli- the version of the Anglican Church in Virginia, and you know they said it was to you know to properly staff their schools and keep teachers uh, paid. Most people don't know this about uh, about about history that the First Amendment is there, brother. And I know that Brother Francis knew this because I heard him write, talk about it. The First Amendment was there because there were all of these, you can, should we call them nuances instead of abominations? You, you can pick one or the other. These kind of, uh, uh, these entities um, and these things that, are, that were created in the states that were a product, I almost said fruit, Strike that. Uh, a product, a byproduct, maybe an afterbirth, of the Protestant Reformation. And one of them were the, uh, were, were, were the basically the state of Connecticut had a, a church it called a state church. state of Virginia had it called a state church. So the First Amendment was there for those guys going, hey, you're not going to come here and try and make us stop forced tithing, you know, which still exists today. In Germany, in places like Germany, uh, aren't German Catholics still tithed? 
They have the German Catholic Church. Doesn't it get its funding from or from taxes? Taxes. They have the church tax. Church yeah, tax, which right. is which is which is similar to what what you're talking about in in colonial America. Now, okay, so if you look at our town here, Fair Richmond, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. uh, we were one of the few town R- Richmond. I'm saying we. I consider my. I'm not a native, obviously, but uh, Richmond was one of the few towns in New England which was religiously um, an outlier. The Historically, in Richmond, there was no church that was supported by tax money. And this is something that was done, I don't know, by the learned fathers of Richmond at some point. And the reason was because there was um, an unusual amount of diversity here. We had, in, in little, little old Richmond, we had uh, Quakers. There's still the Quaker Cemetery here, so we still have dead Quakers. But we had Quakers and we had uh, Baptists. And those were definitely religious outliers from the rest of New England Protestantism, which was all puritanical, uh, i.e. Calvinist. Now, the Baptists, of course, were against paedo-baptism, whereas the Calvinists were all uh, pro-paedo-baptistic. So, they, in other words, they baptized infants. And um, the the, uh, the Quakers, of course, were really strange. They were they were you know they came you know they were, we think of them as being in, in Pennsylvania you know the Quaker state, but there were a bunch of Quakers here in Richmond as well. So the idea was the the, the fathers of Richmond did not want to support a minister off of the town dole because that was which was done in other towns. That interestingly enough, some people tried to use that against us when 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 we were getting tax breaks and we had to explain that that's not the same thing uh it's the state of new hampshire that says that churches are exempt from taxation and uh it was and that's not the same thing as getting town funding Hmm. being being excused from state and town taxes is not the same as getting town funding and some people uh our enemies were that sort of spiritually blinded that they couldn't see that obvious fact interesting uh this is uh, wisdom wednesday here on wisdom wednesday of course here on the mike church show on the crusade channel live talk radio the way it should be and we are talking with Brother Andre and Marie about St. Nicholas. It's kind of devolved into a general conversation about uh, Christmas and Father Christmas and how it came about. Um, uh, and, 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 and Brother had mentioned the Coca-Cola ad, which if you go look at that original Coca-Cola ad, you basically almost all Santa Clauses, as you call them today, come from some derivation of that, uh, that ad. Uh, but go read The Night Before Christmas, and you We'll hear a pretty decent, pretty detailed explanation for jolly old, uh, jolly old elf was he uh, of, of Saint Nicholas. But brother, I thought in the little amount of time that we have left here uh, today, I thought I would uh, uh, probe your sizable intellect on all things Advent EE and stuff. Um, I made it my quest this Advent to try to act more Advent EE and stuff. And one of the things that I pledged to do was to read uh, in its entirety uh, the liturgical year from Don Prosper for each day. So um, uh, I read yesterday's, and Dom, uh, the, uh, Dom Prosper Garanger, was exhorting his reader. Now, it's interesting to me, if, for those of you that are fans of or have the liturgical year, that he wrote from book one. That's where he started. He started in Advent. And then he wrote forward. It is said that he did not finish the series. Isn't that right that he died somewhere or got sick? That's true. It was left to his disciples to finish. Okay, but his flair, and they and they copied it the rest of the way. His flair, his beautiful, his prose, his prose is just beautiful. <laughs> but he was exhorting his readers yesterday uh, to pick up the book of Isaiah and read it. And instead of you know, and I believe his reference was of all the uh, uh, of of those prophets, Isaiah is the one that is most uh, closest to the uh, the story of and the prediction of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
And so that's as far and as I also Isaiah is read throughout uh, the, the, in the Matins readings for Advent. Okay. So there, are, there, are, there, we have two guides through Advent: an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophet, and they are Isaiah the prophet and Saint John the Baptist. Okay. So, uh, now, as I said, I only read what Don Prosper let me to read. I didn't pick the book of Isaiah up yet, but I just thought I would kind of pass that on to people because maybe you have a priest like mine, like Father Damien, like, look, I can't make you do this. He goes, but I'm encouraging you. You have daily mass here at the chapel twice a day. Try and come. You have uh, things that you can read. He even mentioned, I suggest read the book of, of Isaiah during Advent. He said, if you don't, and he goes, there's another thing that you can do, some people suggest, which is read the Gospel of St. Luke. It is written by the historian who did interview, as he says, we know that he interviewed Our Lady, so, and, and, and uh, the apostles that were in, involved in, in our Lord's public life. So maybe you read a chapter or so of the Gospel according to St. Luke uh, during Advent. There's really no wrong way. I just, uh, I just I'll, I'll turn you loose, brother, and you can, you can wax eloquent as I have waxed ineloquent on the subject. <laughs> I can see reading the Gospel of St. Luke as well as Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah already gave the reason why, because he was the evangel. He was the Old Testament. He was the Old Testament prophet who's actually called his book is called the Fifth Gospel sometimes, because it was so much. It was some some of the prophecies, especially of the Passion, are so graphic and so uh, close to what happened. And I mean, close not that not that the other prophets messed it up. I mean, so detailed. Um, and that and that he was the he was the one who gives us an awful lot just about the the, the messianic age period um, so we get an awful lot of Isaiah during advent and and uh, Saint Luke I can see the reason for that because of all the evangelists he gives us the most detail about some of the uh, infancy narratives of course he and Saint Matthew both give us infancy narratives but Saint Luke gives us material that nobody else gives Gives us none of the other evangelists give us about Our Lady, about the Annunciation, about um, the, uh, the 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 visitation, about the Annunciation to Saint Zachary uh, regarding the birth of Saint John. And again, Saint John's a big deal during uh, during uh, Advent sure because all of the all of the Sunday Gospels. First of all, in the Divine Office, he's he's mentioned an awful lot, but. All of the Sunday Gospels, excluding the first Sunday of Advent, uh, St. John is preaching to us. In, in the second, third, and fourth Sundays of Advent, St. John is preaching to us about the coming of our Lord and, and, you know, prepare you the way. Who are you? If you're not the Christ, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not the prophet, who are you? Why do you baptize? I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. That's his job. He's, so Advent's all about what? Preparation. It's a twofold preparation, keep in mind. Yes. It's a preparation for the first coming in mercy, and it's a preparation for the second coming in justice. We Christians who live uh, in the time between those two comings, we know clearly that there was a first coming in mercy and there's a second coming in justice. The Jews didn't have a in the, I, mean, I say Jews in the Old Testament, right? The faithful people of the old law didn't have a clear idea of the two comings of the Messiah. They thought they spoke of, um, you know, the, 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 the day of the Messiah. Uh, and that day of the Messiah is really the entire messianic era in which we live. But for them, there were various seemingly conflicting uh, prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. For instance, just just to give you one, okay. uh, the prop, the, well, there was one prophecy that the Messiah, when he enters into Jerusalem, would come meekly on 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 an ass, riding on an ass, right? And there was a, there's another one that he's going to come as a conquering hero on a white charger. So the rabbis are trying to figure this one out, and they came up with their own idea, which was that if 
when when the Messiah rides into Jerusalem, if the if the people are worthy, if if the if the if the Jews are faithful, because of course they were very cognizant of their own history, which is that they were very unfaithful for much of their own history. Sure were. Um, so you know the the, the uh, in fact this is one of the prophecies the uh, the ox and the ass know their maker, but uh, Israel knows not its God. That's in Isaiah. That's in the prophet. And the, actually, it might be Jeremiah. I'd have to I'd have to fact check myself. Let me just say that to be humble. I think I may have messed that up, but it could be in Isaiah. The ox and the ass know not know their maker, but Israel knows not its God. Something like that. That's a pretty close thing. So when there's an ox and an ass in the manger, hello. Right, that's, that's a fulfillment of that. But here's the way the rabbis answered it. They said, if the if the if Israel is worthy, when the Messiah comes, he will come in on a white charger as our liberator. If Israel is unworthy, he will come in on a, an ass, on a donkey. Mm-hmm. So this explains why the priests were so peevish when Jesus came in and the little children are saying Hosanna to the son of David when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on an ass, right? Because they didn't want to be all unworthy. Because that in their own thinking, that was an indictment against Israel that they were not faithful. And so now, anyway, that, that's kind of an interesting fun fact. But we who live between the time of our Lord's first coming in mercy and his last coming in justice, we, we know that there are two comings. And Advent is actually a preparation for both. And that's why the first Sunday of Advent is actually, uh, f- from St. Luke, is actually all about the second coming. Yeah. And it's scary. It's like, wait a minute, this, aren't we supposed to be... Like Christmassy and stuff, and getting ready for Jesus to be in the me- Jesus to be, you know, we got the crash, and you know, he's not in there yet, but we're preparing for it, and we're we're already dusting off the Christmas cookie recipes and stuff. Isn't it all about that coming? Well, it's both. It, that's the answer. It's looking to both comings. In fact, you might even add a third coming, which is him coming into our own soul, right? Now, uh, uh, a couple of things that I wrote down here with Brother Andre Maria, host of Reconquest Radio. Uh, episode number 400 debuts today here. Uh, first of all, I pulled up the uh, the Dewey Rames version of the book of St. Luke, uh, the Gospel of St. Luke. And uh, upon reading uh, the first page, which I had read most of it uh, yesterday, so uh, it, it was fresh in my mind. There's something that strikes me as very interesting that I don't think that... Um, uh, many of us talk about today or might even think about, and maybe I'm just wanting to stick a feather in my cap for thinking like this, but at the time the authors of the Gospels are writing the authors, they're probably not calling them Gospels. So if you read St. Luke and you think that you're reading Joseph Pierce or Russell Kirk, it makes, just read the first first ten verses here. This is a book here. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a narration of the things that have been accomplished among us, according as they have delivered them unto us, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having diligently attained to all things from the beginning, to write to thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mayest know the verity of those words in which thou hast been instructed. There was, and then he goes into his narrative here. That, that's almost a foreword, <laughs> if it's, you will. It's called a periodic sentence. Okay. If you look at it, it's actually not a, it's, it's actually a ginormous fragment. <laughs> okay. Seriously, it's a, it, St. Luke was showing off that he can write Greeks like a classical Greek author. Okay. And then he quickly goes into the simple style of an evangelist afterwards. Okay. Keep in mind, he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And which, which, which is, it, which is, which does have something to do with the price of tea in China, because <laughs> because uh, the Jewish uh, evangelist wrote a kind of Hebraized Greek. Saint Luke didn't, and he's letting us know by the sentences that he starts. The, both his gospel with and I believe the Acts, it, it, he uses these periodic sentences that were famous for Greek letters at that time. 
Okay, uh, and then when, when you were mentioning, uh, okay, so the to the uh, to the rabbis, uh, our Lord, if Israel was worthy, he would come in on a white colt or a white steed a white charger a white charger and like a cavalier <laughs> like a cavalier and then if he wasn't then he would come in on me <laughs> i see what you did there mike yeah see that so so my uh, so my follow up and we're we're out of time so I, uh, uh, I won't ask you for any details i i was just just thinking that in st matthew's gospel uh, does doesn't our Lord tell the the apostles to go into town and go find an ass who's going to be tied together with or in the presence? Or isn't there a horse there or a colt? There's a colt there, isn't there? Uh, the the yeah. Well, the 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 the, the because it was one that we had never been ridden on before. Okay. And, and that actually, there's a reason for that. The foal of an ass, not a colt, but the foal of an ass. M meaning, um, so it had never been, had a burden on it before. And there's a whole historical Old Testament background to that kind of thing. Okay, we'll leave that for Easter. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave that for the uh, for Passion Tide. Okay, so uh, what is coming up on episode number four to the zero zero of Reconquest? And uh, congratulations for toughing it out. Uh, that's uh, that's an awful lot of episoding, um, and to try and continue delivering new and fresh content or ideas uh, or things to uh, to talk about. Uh, that's quite an accomplishment, my friend. And congratulations, You've done a great job. Reconquest is a is a majestic, beautiful body of work in and of itself. I think your I think your mentor would be very pleased with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're, so, you've earned it. Ep episode, episode 400 is, uh, is don't call it the Tridentine Mass. <laughs> <laughs> I never do because you told me that. <laughs> well, you know, and, it, and it's a typical, I, I put it with an exclamation point because I was thinking of the kind of petty fogger that you can't stand. Uh, and I was, you know, the, the sort of censorious person who's like, that's not, oh, actually, that's not true. Stop it. You know, that kind of person. So I was sort of imitating the, 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 uh, the censorious petty fogger uh, in the title. I was just having a little bit of fun. But there are reasons not to call it the Tridentine Mass. And I I go into them, but the big the big takeaway on this is if it's if it's the mass of the Council of Trent, and yes, Tridentine means of the Council of Trent or of Trent, which is the city. Um, if if we hitch it to the council as if councils historically made up new masses, then what's uh, the problem with with the count the mass of Vatican II? I see right? where you went there. Yeah. So, so actually, uh, if you click on the first link that I have uh, for the um, in, in the show details page, there, there's an excellent article that was posted on Rorate Celli and Doctor uh, Robert Moynihan also reposted it from there with his own introduction. That's also informative. Uh, there are very good reasons not to call it the Tridentine Mass. It really, it, in in all of its essentials, it goes back to Saint Gregory the Great, who died in the year 604. And a lot of it's much older than that. It was already in place by the time of St. Leo the Great before that. Um, and, you know, who's the one who kept Attila the Hun from invading Rome. Uh, so that's ancient, you know. Um, and Adrian, I didn't actually quote this on the show, but Adrian Fortescue said, if you, if you look into the history of all of the rites of the church, East and West, there is no rite that is more venerable than the Roman rite. And by venerable, he meant ancient, meaning you know, it goes back into the earliest Christian antiquity. There's a very funny graphic in the chat room. Uh, if you are, if you're not in there, you w wouldn't be able to see it. But it's very, very humorous. Uh, this is what AI can actually do. It's I guess that's supposed to be Saint Nicholas. <laughs> Saint Saint Nicholas sitting in a uh, modern setting of a, a Christmas setting with a tree in the background and snow outside the windows and the bow and the bow and the holly on the uh, on the windowsill and he's got his laptop and in his left hand he has a book how to slap someone through the internet. <laughs> And, and uh, who, who, whoever did the image really tricked him out in some nice, very, very Latin, but nice vestments. Yeah, they are. <laughs>
Well, you know, you can look if if you experimented with with the AI artwork generators. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 have I ever worked with an AI generator? Yes. Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, because if you, if you leave anything to chance, then either it won't put it in there, or if it does, it will not be the what you were thinking. So you have to be so detailed. You got to be detailed into okay. Uh, yeah, he's sitting there at a computer. He's seated, one the right hand on the key. I mean, you actually have to. People think that oh, it's easier to generate an AI image. No, it's not. No, it's not. You you basically have to write out, write the code for the artificial intelligence program to execute the illustration, including what's in the foreground, what's in the background, is it blurry, is it... Uh, now, there may be different models that will kind of help fill the gaps in there, but whoever did that one put a lot of attention to detail in it. Yeah, no, no, it, it's, very, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. How to slap someone through the internet. You know, I wish I had that book. <laughs> and I wonder if it works. <laughs> is what I'm wondering. Does it work? That's what we're concerned about. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. You're saying that I might be able to slap someone through the internet. Um, well, brother, um, I hope your interview tomorrow night goes well. Or yeah. Oh. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm inter I'm interviewing the author of a of a new book, and the name of the book is. Uh, I think it's called Confederate and Catholic, or Catholic and Confederate. Oh, wait, I've seen this. I've seen yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Gracian, I, I got to ask Cesar how to say the guy's name so I don't make an idiot of myself. Gracian Kaczynski, something like that. It's one of those uh, one of those Polish names. And uh, he's, uh, but he wrote, he wrote, it's basically his own uh, doctoral dissertation that he turned into a, a book for publication. Did uh, 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 Loretto publish this? No. Who published it? No. Was it Oroka Press or, he, I know he's got a couple of other books done by Oroka Press. But, Maybe it's Oroka. Uh, this one may have been Oroka, but it might be some other outfit. Okay, I'm, so I'm Oroka sure. published The Sister's Guide to the Rosary, the liturgical year of the Rosary. Yes, Alex Barbas is a really good guy and uh, great to work with. I mean, just fantastic to work with. Well, it's what I want for Christmas is a copy of The Sister's uh, Book, uh, Maggie. So it's one of my, it's on my, it's on my Christmas list. Uh, everyone should want a copy and get, get yourself a copy. This better be only one thing. <laughs> Get yourself. <laughs> get, get yourself. No, no. I, I just need to get 150 more people to buy tickets. Uh, get yourself a copy at Catholicism.org. Store.catholicism.org. It's the sung rosary through the liturgical year. That's how to sing it. There's so much in there that I, that I want. Brother, congratulations on episode 400. If you need assistance with the doctor tomorrow night in the electronics, because brother Joseph Mary is not there, you can always call yours truly. Oh, th thanks, Mike. Yeah, and uh, I'll probably have it set up way ahead of time so that I, I'm not calling you like, you know, two minutes before I'm supposed to interview, I'm <laughs> screaming at you, what do I do? <clears throat> it wouldn't be something that has not happened before, let me assure you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, this morning it happened, so uh, it's, it's okay. It's a fire we put out almost every day. Well, brother, congratulations on episode 400, and uh, we'll let you get back to uh, your being the prior, the prior and the headmaster of the school. Have a great, uh, uh, blessed uh, feast of St. Nicholas, remaining feast of St. Nicholas, and uh, we shall talk soon. Okay, thank you, Mike. God bless you, and God bless our listeners. Yes, God bless all of our listeners and you as well. All the episodes of Reconquest are available. 400 of them we now have cataloged at crusadechannel.com. We shall talk soon. Okay, thank you, Mike. God bless you, and God bless our listeners. Yes, God bless all of our listeners and you as well. All the episodes of Reconquest are available. 400 of them we now have cataloged at crusadechannel.com.